0: Hey everybody, welcome to Supernatural Saturday. I'm your host, Praying Medic, coming to you live from my office uh, in a fallout shelter. Not really. (laughs) Uh, This is a monthly broadcast that I do Supernatural Saturday. I do it on the second Saturday of every month. Archived versions of my broadcasts can be found on my two websites. PrayingMedic.org, that's our ministry website, and then PrayingMedic.com, which is my main website. Uh, These broadcasts are also available on my Rumble channel. They are not available on YouTube. I don't have a YouTube channel, and if you're watching any of my videos on YouTube, um, it's not my channel. It's probably a Nigerian scammer, and if you give them money, uh, you're not giving me money, (laughs) you're giving them money. There's a lot of fake channels out there. Uh, Alright, so by way of introduction to this broadcast, um, we're, we're sitting uh, right now in a very precarious situation geopolitically. The drums of war uh, are beating and there are some people around the world in positions of power who I think would love to see uh, this war in Ukraine escalate into something much worse. And we're we're watching this fold out. Uh, Hopefully uh, we're praying for peace. Uh, I'm I'm going to stress this throughout this message. We need to be praying for peace every single day because God's plan uh, is peace in the world. Uh, The name of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's not the Prince of War. He's not the prince of death and destruction. That's the enemy. That's uh, Satan. It's God's will that we should live in times of peace. Right now, we've got this threat of potential nuclear war. And I'd like to address that that subject. Um, I think it's unfortunate that a, a lot of people in the church, church leaders, and even prophetic people, are afraid to talk about the threat of nuclear war. They just don't want to talk about it. It, it makes people uncomfortable, makes them squirm, uh, it causes fear, and my goal here is not to cause fear. My goal with this message is to give you hope, and if I have not given you hope by the end of this message, I have not done my job. But by the way, the goal of prophecy, according to the Apostle Paul, is to uh, encourage and inspire and give comfort to others. So (laughs) if someone is speaking prophetically and you're not encouraged and and, uh, given some hope, um, then they're doing it wrong. So I uh, I've been having a lot of dreams over the last three years about the future and for that time, about three years, had a lot of dreams that seemed to indicate a coming time of communications difficulties. I had another dream last night that illustrated the idea that we're going to have difficulty communicating with each other in in the near future. Actually my son had a dream last night, same thing. He was in a room with a bunch of people on computers uh, and all of a sudden lights went out, computers went down and they had no ability to restart, reboot they pulled out their lighters and lanterns for light and they're trying to figure out how to get this system rebooted they couldn't get restarted they're not able to get back online and they were in the dark and I think those types of dreams are illustrating some difficulties we're going to have in the future I think we're going to suffer um, some kind of internet disruption I don't know to what degree I don't know the mechanism that might be used I have some theories I don't know when, don't know the duration. All I know is for three years, God has been warning me to prepare for uh, internet disruptions. And for 13 weeks, I've been having dreams about ham radio. I had a couple more dreams about ham radio this week. Uh, and, and God keeps on hitting this issue that I need to learn, become proficient, and get ready to teach people how to use ham radio because I think. In the not too distant future, it's going to be an important means of communication. Uh, are we going back to an age a hundred years ago? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I do know. God has been stressing to me, and the, and to c- a couple other people too. I uh, one posted a dream in the ham radio chat. So, over on Telegram, I have a channel called Ham Radio and GMRS for Dummies. And if you're interested in learning about ham radio or GMRS or shortwave radio, you can join that channel and ask all the questions you want, and we'll try to give you decent answers. A woman in that chat posted a dream that she had a couple nights ago where uh, there was an internet blackout, no communications, and she realized, oh, crap, I never followed through on that ham radio thing that Praying Medic was talking about so she jumped in the chat and she's been asking questions there are more people having these kinds of dreams and I think that um, if you're wise I think it's good to take this seriously I don't have a clear understanding of what is going to be available in the future as far as communication goes I really don't I think there's going to be some kind of internet but I think it's going to be um, very different from the internet we have right now it's I don't think it's gonna be just jump online communicate with your friends hang out and text each other and upload your videos I think it's going to be very different uh, in in the future and what we may have a time uh, where there is no internet at all uh, that wouldn't surprise me so I'm getting ready for that I'm preparing as far as the ham radio goes um, I've tried doing communications twice a day on 20 meters. Uh, I've been doing it at 1 p.m. Eastern and then again at 10 p.m. Eastern on 14.310 megahertz. I'm not communicating with anybody. Uh, Either no one's hearing me or or no one's able to communicate back to me. Uh, All I'm getting is dead air. I go out, I go on the air, I call CQ, I'm trying to find people out there, no one's hearing me. Now, I can get on at other frequencies at different times, and I can talk to people all over the country. Um, but on that particular uh, frequency at that time, no one's hearing me or no one's responding. So I'm going to discontinue that. I'm not going to be doing a, a twice-a-day um, call on 20 meters because it's just not working. No one's Either no one's hearing me or no one's communicating. So I'm going to switch plans as far as ham radio goes Um, I think I'm I started to think about this yesterday I may do like a once a week or or once every two weeks a we call it a QSO party on ham radio where um, I go into a, a, a location in the Phoenix area that's ideal for radio communications and do a transmission call CQ, try to make some contacts, talk to some people around the country, and in a, in, in, a, in a location with an antenna setup that is better than what I've got at my house right now, which is just not ideal, that's all I'll say. My my setup I have, have here at my house is not ideal for that. Um, my antenna is too low to the ground. It's a compromise antenna. Um, I have a lot of things working against me here. There are some other areas around the Phoenix, in the valley, that offer a much better opportunity to be heard Um, a lot more clearly. So stay tuned on that issue. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who want to stay in touch with me. Um, If I'm able to do these uh, transmissions on ham radio, you can listen to them if you have a shortwave radio, and you have a shortwave radio that allows you to listen on the 20 meter band, and if it does single sideband. If it doesn't do those things, then you won't be able to listen to me. So, um, I I don't have a real clear plan going forward uh, as to how I'm going to stay in touch with everyone. There's just a lot of unknowns. I just don't know. Whatever is available, whatever means of communications are available, I'll be using it. Whether it's ham radio or some proprietary internet or some email service, um, if, if there's a way to get the messages out, I'll get the messages out. Uh, I'm regularly downloading my email list uh, from GetResponse. I use GetResponse as an email provider. I've got 55,000 people on my email list. If you're on my email list, I've got it downloaded. I have it stored offline. And if there's a way to email people uh, down the road, I'll, I will. If there's a way to do it, I'll do it. I'll try to keep in touch with everyone. All right. So let's transition into the into another subject. All right. So we've got this escalation of the war in Ukraine, Russia. We've got NATO countries that uh, are sending aid to Ukraine. I don't see this uh, war ending anytime soon. It seems like uh, certain people want this war to escalate. And uh, from what I know about the deep state and the people who are handling Joe Biden, Uh, I think it's reasonable to assume they probably would like to have some kind of at least a limited nuclear war because their agenda is control. They want to control the world's population and as Q has pointed out, and it's been pointed out in a lot of different movies, most of the Tom Clancy movies revolve around this theme of, if you look at the Sum of All Fears is a good example. Um, Sum of All Fears is a the movie that basically proposes the idea that there's a false flag, nuclear detonation, in the US. It was perpetrated by some bad actors who wanted to frame Russia and create a nuclear, a large nuclear war between Russia and the United States, after which they, the people who initiated this, would then institute their one world government. They would get rid of all the international borders and create their their Nazi New World Order and and that's essentially what um, what the deep state wants to do the cabal the the puppet masters who are controlling uh, politicians around the world their goal the great reset is to crash the financial system crash the economies create war um, limited nuclear exchange that gives them the reason where they can say look we're not gonna have any more nuclear wars we're going to get rid of international borders there won't be any more border skirmishes over this territory and that territory in this country and that country they they will use the logic that if they get rid of international borders that will end nuclear war and and in order to do that they have to detonate a couple of nuclear warheads and and i think that's their goal whether they'll be successful or not i, I don't know But that's their goal. I think there are people, a lot of people uh, in positions of power who are driving toward a goal of uh, a limited nuclear exchange. And I think we ought to take that seriously. Now, I understand there are a lot of uh, prophetic people and prophets who have declared rather uh, strenuously that there isn't going to be a nuclear war and we don't need to worry about it. And that's fine. Um, If you follow these prophetic people, and if they say, thus saith the Lord, there is not gonna be nuclear war, we need to stand in agreement with that because we know that it is will of God for peace. God does not want nuclear war. So we should be standing in agreement, praying in agreement, and interceding in agreement with uh, God's plan for peace, that there would be no nuclear war, That if there's a false flag nuclear attack it would be exposed and it would be um, prevented i think that we can prevent nuclear war through prayer i think it's possible Uh, i think that if nuclear war is averted it's only going to be done through prayer and intercession that that is the way it's going to be done we have to be praying and interceding and being wise about this situation and taking it seriously. Um, just because you know two or three prophets say there isn't going to be nuclear war, that doesn't mean we can sit back, grab our bowl of popcorn, and watch the world go to hell. We have to be praying and interceding, and coming into agreement with God's plan. That's our part. All right. Um, I we hadn't even thought about this subject seriously until I had a dream about a week ago. And I posted it um, on Telegram. I posted it on uh, Truth Social. And in this dream, it was another ham radio dream with a twist. This time, I was walking through a debris field. I didn't know where I was. Didn't know what time of day it was. It was it was daytime. I was walking through a debris field, and I found a two-meter ham radio antenna. It was just I, in the dream. I just knew. I saw this object. And I knew, oh, that's a 2 meter ham radio antenna. (laughs) Like, you wouldn't necessarily know that just by walking up and seeing an antenna. You'd have to do some measurements on it, check the SWR uh, to see what frequency it resonates on, to know if it's a 2 meter or 6 meter or 10 meter antenna. But I just knew in the dream it was a 2 meter antenna. All right, so I I picked up this antenna, and I was checking it for radioactivity. Uh, Then... Later in the dream, I was with at least one other person. We found another two meter antenna, and we checked it for radioactivity. And that was the dream. Now, when I first had that dream, I thought, okay, is this a hint that I'm going to be living in a post-nuclear war world? Because why else would I be checking for radioactivity? so my initial impression was God's letting me know that there's there's a chance that I'm I'm going to be living through a nuclear war of some kind and I'm out about I'm looking for ham radio stuff and checking for radioactivity might be uh, something I would routinely do after a nuclear exchange so uh, with that began the discussions in my Telegram channel among our admins about okay, well, is this uh, is this something we need to really consider? Because a lot of uh, people that I know, some of our admins, have been having dreams at the same time about iodine. I had a dream uh, two weeks ago it had to do with iodine, and iodine is um, very uh, relevant to nuclear weapons in that. One of, the, one of the effects of radiation is thyroid cancer from uptake of radioactive iodine. And one of the treatments for radiation sickness is taking uh, potassium iodide, which basically fills up the spaces in your thyroid so that you can't take up radioactive iodine. It's a preventative to prevent uh, having radioactive iodine destroy your thyroid, basically. Right, so myself and a couple other people have been having dreams of related to that subject, buying iodine, buying Geiger counters, uh, and and getting prepared for this stuff, right? Uh, and so I I had to because God started speaking to me about this subject. I'm like, okay, well now I have to have a conversation with my friends and prophetic people. What is God saying about this? What does it mean? What what is the real risk? uh how do we need to be praying what should we prepare for so i decided that i'm going to add among all the other things that i'm preparing for food shortages gas shortages power outages internet outages now i'm getting prepared the best that i can for the possibility of a uh, a nuclear strike do i know that it's going to happen i don't know that it's going to happen god has not shown me clearly that nuclear war is coming god hasn't even shown me that president trump is going to be back in office again Um, i i have a lot of dreams about president trump i have not had a dream where i saw president trump returning to the white house i'm not saying he's not going to return i believe he will but i get limited revelation about world events very specific to some subjects like ham radio like communications other people get revelation about other subjects like President Trump's return, nuclear war. So, I got this one glimpse in this one dream about mm, checking ham radio antennas for radioactivity in a debris field. And that's all the context that I have. So, I have to make some assumptions off of that. One assumption could be that we are going to experience some kind of a nuclear attack. There's another possibility, though, that I thought about the other day. If, what if, since we know how the deep state likes to um, present false information as real, and they're, they love to pull their psychological operations to control people, right? They weaponized uh, COVID, which was really little more than the flu. And they used it to lock people down, destroy the economy, destroy jobs, businesses, um, take control over us through an invisible enemy they always use an invisible enemy some thing that that we don't know about that we can't measure that we have to take the word of an expert that this is a real threat if it's not a solar storm right we can't measure we can't objectively know about whether there's a solar storm coming that's going to hit the earth the asteroid that's going to hit the earth Do we have the ability to know if a real asteroid is really going to hit Earth and cause some planet-ending collision? We don't know. It's an invisible enemy. We can't see it and we can't objectively know about it. Radioactivity is the same way. It's possible that the deep state could create a narrative, a false narrative, that the entire United States or the UK or all of Europe was hit by nuclear devices and now that there's widespread radiation everywhere, everyone has to stay inside and be locked down. They could do it with conventional weapons. They could detonate some very large conventional weapons, tell the public that they were nuclear weapons, tell the public there's radioactivity everywhere. We don't know any better. And then they lock us down. So there's, there's multiple possibilities uh, going on here. I don't know with certainty if we're going to face any kind of a nuclear strike uh, either wherever you are whether it's in Asia Kazuko I know you're listening uh, from Japan uh, Charles and all of our mates in uh, in the UK uh, we have people listening all over the world I, I don't really know what the the actual threat is of a nuclear strike in any given area you could You could probably um, uh, do some game theory and pick certain areas that are more likely to see a nuclear strike. Areas like Washington DC, New York, Seattle, Los Angeles. Places that are port cities, uh, locations that have large military installations, large centers of population, seats of government. Those tend to be the high value targets for an enemy to hit. Some of those areas obviously are at more risk than if you're out in the middle of Utah uh, 300 miles from the nearest big city you're probably at a very low risk of, uh, of a nuclear strike now I want to transition to some specific discussions about uh, a nuclear strike again I'm going to say this and I want to catch this and make sure people understand I'm not saying we're going to have have to face a nuclear strike but I think it's time for us to have an adult discussion about that possibility, and what we can do if it happens. Right? If you if you prefer to believe it's not going to happen, that's fine. Uh, some people are interested in having a discussion about what what life would be like if it did happen. What preparations can we take? What practical steps can we take? Uh, and and what are the what are the odds of it happening? And and what is is the likely Uh, consequence of it happening. So I bought this book this week, um, Gearing Up for Surviving Nuclear War, written by E.J. Mendoza. He is a PhD, he's a uh, nuclear physicist, Uh, he does research, and it's not the greatest book on preparedness. Um, It's hastily put together, it's not very thick. Um, A lot of the information on, on preparedness is not that good, However, the information on uh, nuclear devices is very good because that's this guy's specialty. He's a nuclear physicist. He actually knows quite a bit about the, the effects, the direct effects of a nuclear uh, detonation. So I'm going to just read um, a couple of sections, very short sections from this, just to give you some information about uh, what would happen in a, nu- in a nuclear war. Now, I want to preface that with, with this. Um, I'm a baby boomer, and I grew up uh, when, during the, the Cold War, when the United States was at war with the Soviet Union, the Cold War, the buildup of nuclear weapons. Uh, my brother was actually worked on the Star Wars Strategic Defense Initiative during the Reagan administration, uh, and he worked in Area 51 and he saw a, lot, a whole lot of stuff and he never told me what he saw, but he was a part of this build-up of uh, weapons, weapons platforms, and so, so I'm, I'm very familiar with this this whole uh, <laughs> scenario of the, the build-up of nuclear weapons over the last seventy years. Now, we have been trained, we've been programmed through movies, social media, books, to think, and through church. I'm sure most of us have listened to pastors who have told us that if we ever have a nuclear exchange between Russia and United States or China, it's the end of the world. That's it. It's over. Game over. The entire planet dies. Nuclear winter. Uh, all the plants die. All the animals die. Water is forever poisoned. And game over, we're all going to die. Um, that's that's the that's the programming that a lot of us have been fed over the last seventy years. That, however, is not true. All right, so uh, information freely available on the internet. Here's one fact that you can just sort of tuck away in the back of your mind. Since ni- between the the period between nineteen 19- 46 and 1996. Okay, that 50-year period, more than 2,000 nuclear warheads were detonated uh, above ground around the world. 2,000 nuclear warheads were detonated over the span of 50 years. 500 of them were detonated in the atmosphere, and 1500, were detonated at ground level and despite the fact that we've detonated 2,000 nuclear warheads uh, we still have trees, we still have animals, we still have food, and the earth's population has not been obliterated. That's because those nuclear warhead detonations were not done in a major uh, urban area. But, uh, despite all these thousands of nuclear warheads being detonated, we, don't, we didn't have a nuclear winter. We don't have uh, nuclear rain that's, going, that's killing us. We don't have, We don't have radiation burns all over us. We're not suffering from radiation sickness, despite the fact that thousands of nuclear warheads have already been detonated over the last you know, 70 years. Uh, a lot of people are just not aware of how many nuclear warheads have already been detonated. In the 1970s and 1980s, the arms race was predicated on the, the idea was deterrence and deterrence through mutually assured destruction. Both sides, the Soviet Union, United States, didn't launch a strike because they were afraid that if they launched a strike, the other side would launch a strike, and we would launch all of our missiles, thousands of them, and that would lead to a planetary destruction. So the idea of mutually assured destruction kept the nuclear powers from using their weapons against each other. That was how it played out in the 60s and 70s and 80s. That's not how it plays out right now. Nuclear weapons, uh, some of them, are quite small and they can be used in a tactical way rather than a mutually assured destruction way. So this uh, Russia could strategically target four or five areas in the United States, four or five cities, and do a limited nuclear strike and we would probably retaliate with a limited nuclear strike on them and that's more than likely that's what would probably happen. Even if Russia launched a hundred nuclear uh, warheads at us, our strategic missile defense system is probably going to take 90 percent of them out. Some would get through, most of them would be destroyed right so regardless of how many warheads would be launched few of them would make it would make it to the target and and detonate so let me just walk through this scenario about what would happen in an area where a nuclear warhead did find target and was detonated and I'm gonna read from this book so um, uh, Mendoza writes this let's take for example Um, A ground burst of a Topol SS-2, an 800 kiloton warhead commonly deployed by the Russian Strategic Nuclear Force. The nuclear fireball from such a detonation would reach a radius of 1.15 kilometers, so a little more than half a mile, that's the radius of the fireball. And it would cover about 4.15 square kilometers, so about 2.5 square miles. That's the, the coverage of the fireball of a, a medium-sized nuclear warhead. With a blast radius of about two kilometers. Okay, so the blast wave that comes out from the detonation would be two kilometers. Almost all buildings would collapse, killing almost all the people inside within a thermal radius of about no, thermal radius of about nine kilometers victims would suffer third-degree burns that would require intensive medical attention to survive. So he's talking about three different zones. One is the fireball, which is one kilometer radius that incinerates everything inside that one kilometer radius. Then he talks about the blast zone, which is a, a blast wave that would have about a two kilometer radius, four and a half kilometers, square kilometers, and then a thermal radius, he says it'd be about nine kilometers. Okay. That's just a wave of heat that comes in and creates third degree burns on your skin, incinerates a lot of things. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Nine kilometers. Everything, all of that is talking about inside a nine kilometer radius or about five and a half square miles. Alright. If a if a nuclear warhead detonated here in the Phoenix area where I live the devastation uh, from the fireball the blast wave and the heat would be a five and a half square mile radius five and a half square miles the metropolitan Phoenix area is fourteen thousand square miles if you take the suburbs of Glendale Peoria Mesa Chandler, Gilbert, Ahwatukee, The Phoenix metropolitan area is over 14,000 square miles. And with a single nuclear warhead, the devastation would be limited to about five and a half square miles. Meaning 99.9% of the geographic area of the Phoenix Valley would not be, uh, would be left standing. And 99% of the population would not be affected by um, the blast. There would probably be deaths in the neighborhood of 250,000 people would, be, would die immediately. Probably another 100 to 200,000 people would die from radiation uh, sickness over the next year. So let's say uh, 450,000 people might die from a single nuclear warhead detonated in Phoenix. The Phoenix metro area is 4.5 million people. So 10% of the population would die. of the people would probably survive the first year. So what we've been sort of taught and trained over the, you know, our lifetimes is that if a nuclear warhead were to detonate in a major urban area, it would kill most of the people. But in fact, it wouldn't. It would devastate the area. It would take out healthcare centers. It would devastate EMS and fire. It would devastate communications. It would kill a lot of people and I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and the loss of you know, resources, that's a serious problem to deal with. However, what we should probably think about is what happens to the 90% of the population that survives? Because nine times out of 10, if you're in an area, you're going to survive. You will probably have some radiation exposure you may have some low level uh, radiation sickness. Uh, you may end up with you know skin irritation. And, and that can be mitigated. But there is a very strong likelihood that even if, like I said, even if, if Russia was able to get through five or six nuclear warheads on some high value targets, Los Angeles, Seattle, Washington, New York, whatever, pick whatever targets although there would be millions of people who would die there would be hundreds of millions of people who would survive and those people have to know what they're going to do after the strike after the event is over are there things that we can do to um, to mitigate the damage and to pick up the pieces and go on because I I I think we need to have a discussion about that so let's talk about radioactive um, toxicity. I'm just going to read another section of the book. The toxicity of nuclear fallout drops quickly with time due to the relatively quick composition of the most intensely radioactive byproducts. The general rule of thumb for calculating the toxicity of radioactive fallout is called the 7-10 rule which states that for every factor of 7 in time passed since the blast, the ionizing radiation output of the resulting fallout will reduce by a factor of 10. Therefore, after seven hours, the level of radiation emitted by the fallout has reduced to 10 percent of the original strength. So, seven hours after the detonation of a nuclear warhead, the effects of radiation has reduced 90 percent after seven hours. If you multiply seven times seven, so seven squared, 49 hours later it's reduced by another factor of 10. Two days later 48 hours or 49 hours later the radiation uh, at that same area is only one percent of what it was two days earlier at, at the time of the blast and if you multiply that out again seven to the third power it drops down to one-tenth of one percent so after two weeks The effective uh, level of radiation is only one-tenth of one percent of what it was originally and if you go seven to the fourth power uh, so two weeks times seven is 14 weeks 14 weeks later it'd be a hundredth of a percent uh, of the original radiation so it degrades rather quickly the radiation in the area and so this this meme that we have um, that the effects of radiation last for years and we're gonna have a nuclear winter it's gonna kill everything uh... we're all gonna be dealing with radiation sickness for the next ten years it is really not true the radiation actually deteriorates pretty quickly and if there's rain after uh... a nuclear detonation ra- rain helps a lot and here's why um, radiation by itself uh, doesn 't actually do a whole lot to the human body. Uh, what it typically does is it contaminates dust dirt, soot, smoke, products of combustion, ash things that are flying around so if you have a, a nuclear detonation you 're get a lot of burning uh, debris that debris when it gets airborne in the form of like I said soot dust dirt ash that is contaminated. With radiation, and when you come into contact with the dust, the dirt, the ash, and the soot that has radio radiation on it, that is what's going to hurt you. The key is to avoid contact with the dirt, dust, ash, soot, and the products of combustion. And there's ways to do that. You can filter. You can wear masks. You can wear a Tyvek suit. Uh, if you have to, if you have to go out after the blast, wearing protective gear uh, will allow you to. Go about, do what you have to do, get back home quickly, take off your Tyvek suit, your booties, your gloves, your respirator, leave them outside, come back into your house and shower. Basic emergency management for hazardous materials is, you have a hot zone, you have a warm zone, and you have a cold zone. Uh, In in any hazardous materials situation, for anyone who's exposed to anything hazardous, they're in the hot zone they get decontaminated they get hosed off uh, take some soap scrub yourself down take a brush and you can And what you're trying to redo is you're trying to remove the dust dirt ash soot from your skin and from your clothing that's contaminated with radiation you wash yourself off you clean yourself off and then you go into a warm zone where after you've been decontaminated, you're in a warm zone where, what we call an EMS and fire warm zone, where you can get triaged. It's next door to the hot zone. It's where you go after you're decontaminated. You get triaged, medical treatment, whatever needs to happen, and then you go to the cold zone where there's no contamination in that area. Some of the practical things we can do. In uh, in the event of a nuclear device being detonated near your location, One of the simple steps you can do is put a piece of plastic over your air intakes in your house, the ventilation, heating and ventilation, duct work. Just tape a piece of plastic over it with duct tape or some painter's tape for about seven hours after the incident. What that's going to do is it'll prevent um, contaminated ash, dust, and soot from getting inside your house. Shut your air conditioning and heating off for about seven or eight hours until the radiation level drops until the wind has had a chance to blow any dust ash particles that are contaminated out of your area and then take the plastic off you can seal your windows if you want with plastic and and, uh, tape seal your ductwork you only need to do it for about eight hours and then afterward you can take it off and then the, the smart thing is to just shelter in place if you if you're prepared and you have some food and water inside it's not contaminated stay inside for a couple of days let the radiation deteriorate let the wind and weather take it all out of the area and then you know after three or four days a week two weeks depending on you know what your comfort level is if you have to go out and do something you you can buy these um, Tyvek jumpsuits for six dollars on Amazon you can buy Tyvek booties buy some gloves get a respirator if you want it only has to be a dust uh, respirator Um, you're not you're not trying to uh, fight the effects of radiation you're simply trying to prevent breathing in dust dirt particles that are contaminated with radiation and a cheap respirator can do that doesn't have to be anything expensive Uh, cheap respirator cheap Tyvek suit some inexpensive gloves and booties you can go out do what you have to do, quickly come back in, take all your stuff off, leave it outside, come back into your house, shower, and go about your day. If we uh, experience a nuclear event near us, near in the Phoenix area, or even if it's in California, and the weather carries uh, contaminated products into the Phoenix Valley, that's what I'm going to do, shelter in place, hunker down, I've got some food and water, I can hang out here for a few days, inside, not go out, Not get exposed myself to the radiation. That's it. The biggest danger in a nuclear emergency is being outside and being exposed to the the contaminated products of of the blast the soot, ash, dust, um, all that stuff that's floating around out there. Now we're going to get to the good part. I have been practicing uh, exercising authority and uh, releasing power. Uh, Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2, Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and he gave them power and authority over sickness and to cure cure diseases. And in our Telegram channel, what have we been doing for the last year? We have been teaching and training and posting testimonies of people who have seen crazy miracles. Broken washing machines, broken dryers, broken cars, healed, repaired, supernaturally. Food multiplication, sickness and disease, gone. And I have been practicing uh, changing the weather. (laughs) So, Jesus is out on the sea, and there's a storm, and the disciples are panicking, and Jesus speaks peace to the storm, and the storm is calmed. He is our example, and we have had a very long monsoon season here in our area. We are continuing to have thunderstorms and dust storms. Uh, the monsoon season should have been over a month ago, but we continue to have these storms. We had one last night, <laughs> and I'm looking at it on the radar, and I'm talking to, De- to Denise. I'm like, honey, there's this huge area of thunderstorms. It's over in New Mexico, but it's moving toward us, and it's probably going to hit us around dinner time and it looks pretty intense and she just smiles she's like yeah well you'll take care of it <laughs> so what i've been doing is i've just been commanding there will be no dust storm in my on my property not in our neighborhood it's not going to happen and i have watched on the radar time and time and time again here comes the thunderstorm storm cell i can see it on the radar it's big lots of red pink on there intense thunderstorms Uh, a lot of times we'll get a dust storm warning beforehand and I just go out and I command the weather there will be no dust storm on my property not in this neighborhood you're not allowed I forbid it in the name of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh you're not going to ruin our trees and no wind storms no dust storms not gonna happen and I have been exercising authority over the weather been doing it now pretty regularly for the last well since Ju- uh, july when the monsoon season started i permit the rain i tell the weather hey we'll take the rain no problem rain on us all you want not going to have high winds not going to have dust storms not going to have any damage last night the storm rolls in and i could see this massive dust storm coming toward us on the horizon just brown dust rolling typically the top of the dust is about 500 feet off the ground and it's just a wall of dust coming towards you it comes up the valley and it just goes right through and the wind picks up and you get dust everywhere and um, I'm tired of dealing with the effects of uh, dust storms so I just started commanding no dust storm not on our property it's not gonna happen last night the storm comes rolling up the valley and there is a wall of dust coming toward us. And I just kept commanding, you are not gonna come on my property, we are not gonna have a dust storm. Winds, I command you to settle down. You're not going to come in our neighborhood. I forbid you. And sure enough, that dust storm came right up to our our place. And there was a couple of gusts of wind uh, uh, in our back patio. I could see the trees moving around, no dust. I normally after a dust storm our patio and our backyard is covered in dust everything's covered in dust I have to go out there and hose everything off it's just blasted with dust nothing <laughs> I, I, after it was done I'm like honey check it out like that dust storm came through you could see it coming through it did not hit our property I don't know what area got the effect of the dust storm it did not hit our property and when we do that when we exercise authority over the weather we have seen it over and over again where you can sometimes we'll see we'll watch on radar this um, thunderstorm cell moving right toward our house and it'll split and go around us you can see it on the radar some part goes to the east part goes to the west completely misses our house this is real we have authority jesus gave it to us not just to heal sickness and disease but authority over the weather and if we end up in a a time and place where there's nuclear fallout and contaminated dust and dirt and soot there's no reason we can't command that stuff to leave to go away to be uncontaminated to be hidden into the ground Lord take that cloud of radiated dust and put it in that cave and seal it up. You can do whatever you want. We do not have to um, put up with the effects of radiation. We can command radiation to go away. One of the things that Jesus said was, those who believe in me, they will pick up serpents and not be bitten, and if they drink any poison, it will not harm them. Right? So, we as believers do not have to put up with drinking and dying from drinking contaminated water. Again, something to think about. If you're in an area where that, where you think or you know that the water is contaminated, because you have a Geiger counter, you can buy them on Amazon. They're not that expensive. You can use a Geiger counter and, and check your water, check your food, check your air around your house, see what's where the radiation is. Just realize there's a normal amount of background radiation everywhere, and uh, there's a There's a a safe level of radiation, and then there's unsafe levels of radiation. And the unsafe level of radiation is actually pretty high. But uh, you could, we could, and we might have to, um, command radiation, dust and dirt, to come out of the water. Uh, It's a matter of removing the contaminated particles. You can filter, if you have a big Berkey or some other water purification device, you can filter out the contaminated dirt. Dust, soot, ash—that's in the water. That's contaminating it, and have clean, drinkable water. Once, again, one of the practical things you can do. Uh, we have been given the power and authority, all that we need, to take this sickness and get rid of it. If you—if we're in a community where people have radiation sickness, whether it's bone marrow disease, you got increased rates of cancer, whether it's burned skin from exposure to radiation, we can cure all those diseases. Jesus gave us authority over all sickness, all disease, no exceptions. There's no reason we can't exercise authority and deal with this situation and get people healed and deal with the environmental effects uh, and, and survive through this because that I, I'm, I'm telling you, if it happens, and I'm, I'm praying that it doesn't, but if it does happen, most of us are going to survive it, and we have to know how to live on the other side of it. And there are things we can do to prepare for it. I, I think it's wise to just take some simple steps for preparation. I think it's even wiser to anticipate the need to exercise authority and release power for miracles in the aftermath because that is how the kingdom of god responds to crisis jesus demonstrated it his entire ministry whenever there was a crisis there wasn't any food there was a storm whatever the crisis was jesus demonstrated that god has a response to crisis and his response is to overcome it because we are overcomers and how can we be overcomers if we don't have anything to overcome I'm not praying for nuclear war, but if it happens, it could be an opportunity for us to do the greater works that Jesus said we would do. Uh, God is always looking to give us opportunities to demonstrate His goodness, His love, His mercy, His power and compassion. And this could be an opportunity for us to do exactly that. All right. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to this broadcast. I will have the replay available on Rumble later on today. Uh, Please keep me and Denise in prayer. Keep President Trump in prayer. Keep the entire world in prayer. Keep our leaders, political leaders, in prayer. Romans 13 says we have an obligation to pray for our elected leaders. We need to pray for them to have wisdom, discernment, that their hearts would be softened, that they would not get us into nuclear war, that they would work toward peace. That's it. Love you all. Take care. I'll catch you on the next broadcast.